we've been working on this theme, on this computer, of what God expects from me. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day that uh, this is one of the four questions that I think uh, we have to ask or answer, we ask and answer ourselves, that I think are basic to following Jesus. One is, the first question we always ask is, is there a God? Um, And I used to teach my students, if you say no, then you can go to sleep now. But if you believe there is a God, that first question, they have to ask the second question. That second question is, okay, if there is a God, what is this God like? What's the character of God? There are lots of problems related to that. Lots of issues, lots of questions that people ask when things happen. They say, why would God let blah, blah, blah? Well, that's really trying to answer that question. What then is this God like? And that's a big question and has to be answered at some degree to some satisfaction in your own thinking. The third question that we've been working on is, I think is this, is the third question. Then what does God expect from me? If God's nature is such, what does God expect from me? You know, this is a relationship and both parties are not equal, but both parties have a part to play. There's a part here that I have. What does God expect from me? That's kind of the theme we've been working on. And then the fourth question that we've dealt with at different occasions is this, is the fourth question. What can I expect from this God? What can I expect? I mean, do I, can I expect life to be easy? Can I expect life to be painless? Can I expect life to be successful? What, what, what can I expect from this God? And I think, again, I've said on different occasions that Answering this question uh, often has been the case where, again, uh, it's related back to the nature of God. When difficult things happen, people say, you know, why did God let that happen or why is that? Because they've expected life to be a certain way. And as you go through life, you realize uh, figuring out what you can expect from God. What has he committed himself to? What has he promised he would do? Not just what preachers or teachers have told us. But what can you expect from him? And so that third question is one we've been kind of hanging around uh, for some time with. Is what does God expect from me? This is a relationship. This is, a, this is where we have uh, parts to play in this. And so we've been studying the book of Ephesians. So if you want to go to your table of contents in your Bible or your phone or your electronic device, however you got that, we're going to go look at Ephesians. We're going to be beginning in a new section, actually. It's page 1114 in my Bible. We're going to be working in a new section. Uh, this section at 4-1, and I want to talk to you here a little bit on your handout there. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I think I need to review, but I want to be careful here. So what does God expect from me is to live worthy of my calling. Notice there in chapter 4, verse 1 of Ephesians, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore or exhort or encourage. Uh, the Greek term has a lot of different nuances there, but it's the idea of of engagement here. I I encourage you, I implore you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And we've been uh, digging around in that for a while. And uh, I want to remind you of what I'm calling here the template of this book, template of uh, Ephesians, kind of the way it's designed, that we've discussed this on different occasions, that in Paul's letters, and I can give you several uh, examples if you want them, Uh, but Paul has a fairly consistent template in that he will write in the first part of any book that he writes, 
uh, declarative statements or statements of fact as to what God has done or what our condition is. These are statements of fact. In terms of grammar, it's called the declarative, vo uh, declarative mood. Uh, it's making a statement. Uh, in Romans, uh, it starts in chapter 1 and goes to chapter 11. These are all declarative statements about the human condition, about what God has done, about what Jesus has accomplished. And then in chapters 12 to 15 in Romans, they're imperative. These are commands. Now, you should operate this way. You should act this way. You should live this way. And that's similar. Uh, it's exactly uh, the fact in Ephesians. In Ephesians, we've worked through the first three chapters. They are all declarative statements. They're statements about our condition. They're statements about what God has done. They're statements about the work of Christ. All of those are declarative statements. We move at chapter 4, verse 1, into what we call the imperative section, uh, where there, is, uh, are there commands, there are statements in the imperative voice. Do this, don't do that, walk this way, they're that kind of... And, and it seems to me that, uh, again, this is in Romans, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, all of Paul's works... You ought to pay attention <clears throat> to this template. I've often uh, said with my students <clears throat> that, that, that uh, doctrine precedes duty. In other words, content precedes conduct. We sometimes just think that God just wants us to be busy and go at it. But in other words, if you read these books carefully, you'll realize that Paul and his other and others do the similar thing, that there's a great emphasis placed on us first understanding, coming to grips with, maybe having some understanding or insight as to what our condition is, what God has done before he ever calls us to activity. It's a very important template. Uh, I probably told you this before, uh, but uh, I've been to Israel once and also now to England, so I, you know, just bring that out. Um, that I had my students, I, I made an assignment for them uh, years ago in a section of scripture in Ephesians, actually, of the first chapter, and asked them to write down all the commands in Ephesians 1 on a Friday so they could work all weekend. <laughs> and there are none. <laughs> and so when we came back on Monday, that's back when we used, anybody remember paper and pen? <laughs> you remember that? Remember that? Yeah. I had them turn in pieces of paper and they had all this list of stuff. And so I said, okay, who wants to go first? And okay, I will. I just kind of walked them through it, waded them through them. They said, no, what, what? no, hold it. Where, where's the command here? Oh, well, let's do another one. So we did that for a while. And I just finally said to my students, you need to quit worrying about Greek and Hebrew. You need to learn to read English. <laughs> and I think that this is my opinion, thoughts and opinions, teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions, cross community church, elders, leadership. I think we have enough churchianity in us. I think we have enough religiosity in us that we have this notion that every time we read something in the Bible, we got to do something. Well, that doing something is to, in, to believe, to receive the understanding of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. That's where the energy comes from. That's the engine. That's the power to say, my Christianity is not what I do. It's what's been done for me. And now I have the energy to do. I have the energy to act. I have the energy to obey. 
And so I think this is a really important template. I just keep trying to drive this into our thinking that you should pay very close attention when you're reading the scripture about the mood in which the sentence is written. Is it declarative, making a statement of fact, declaring some truth or idea, or is it an imperative, do something about this, obey this, act this way. So I think it's a really important template for your reading and your edification that you'll understand that the Christian life is begun, lived through, empowered by understanding what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's the truth. Now, the next thing, review the truths. When Paul says in 4.1 to live worthy of the calling with which you've been called, we've been working because I think that begs the question, then what is our calling? You know, and I said this at the very outset, I said again, that this word calling in the Greek New Testament is not reserved for people in ministry or missionaries or pastors. This word calling here is referencing followers of Jesus. We have a call in our life. We have a call in our life. It's called to God. It's called to fellowship. It's called him. And Paul, I think, gives a great deal of attention here, if you will, in two areas. I think I've got this. No, I don't. Here we go. I'm going to just review real quickly. Uh, you, know what that, you know what that means when a preacher says that, right? Nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing. That, that the, the reviewing the truth, I, I see chapters 1, 2, and 3 in this frame. Now, this is just my view of it. You don't have to agree with it. You have every right to be wrong. And uh, <laughs> my dad one time, God bless him on Father's Day, my dad bought me a, a refrigerator magnet one time and said, everybody is entitled to my opinion. And <laughs> he gave it to me. I said, well, that's true. No. <laughs> um, Two things, and I've tried to give these in kind of a way where you can remember them. Our calling involves God's actions for us in Christ. Our calling is our understanding of God's actions for us in Christ. I see that in 1.1 to 2.10. You want to go back and review that. Our calling is to, to know God's actions for us in Christ. That's in 1.1 to 2.10. You go back and look at it. He called us before the foundation of the world. He, he destined us to adoption as sons in love. He, he, he sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. He blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He adopted us in love. We have redemption through the forgiveness of sins. He's lavished upon us grace. He's made known to us His will in summing up all of heaven. We have an inheritance. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit as a pledge which, which is to come. He raised us from the dead. He saved us by grace. That's just the list right there. Right there. That's the first part, God's actions for us in Christ. So if you want to go back and study this and read this in the future about your calling, it's to say, this is who I'm called to be because of what Jesus has done. This is what God has done. And then the second area seems to me, seems to me to be God's addition of us to his people. So you got action and you got addition. In chapter 2, verse 11 to 321, there's a large section here. <clears throat> where Paul is declaring how now we are now part of God's people. And the great burden here that he's working through is both Jew and Gentile are together. We, we talked, if you want to listen to some of the recordings, we, we discussed this, how radical a thought this was, that Jews and Gentiles could get along, could be together. 
that was unheard of in the ancient world, that this bringing together of these two disparate groups that really, really hated each other, really hated each other. It was a miracle. The church in the early days was seen as a miracle to be able to bring those two groups together. And so Paul is trying to say our, our calling is that we're, we're God's addition of us to his people. Hear these words. These are, again, I've just kind of lifted out. We've been brought near to God and made both groups, Jew and Gentile, into one new man. Now, that word man, anthropos, doesn't mean male gender. It means human being. But, but think about what, what Paul's saying here, that God's addition of us to his people, that he took the Jew and, the, and he made one new humanity. Christians should be. We are a different life form. <laughs> We, we have a different value system. We, we have a different way of life. We hopefully can demonstrate that in our world, that there's a new humanity that is now on the basis of what God has done for us in Christ. We're also fellow citizens with the saints. We're a temple where God dwells. And it's the unfathomable riches of Christ to all people. That's 2.11 to 3.21. So all of this, this calling, again, here's the two frames I've got it in. The actions of God for us in Christ and the addition of us to God's people causes Paul then to say, I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk worthy of that. Now that's a high calling. And that is God's action and activity. And so as I'm reading this, I'm looking along saying, okay, he, he, he's asking me to walk worthy. Now, a couple of observations and thoughts here as we kind of move through this. Um, I've often, at least in my own thinking, reflected on how sometimes I think, personal opinion, again, you don't have to believe it, um, that sometimes we think that when pe people become followers of Jesus, it, everything's automatic. You know, you lose all your biases. You, you suddenly love everybody. We know that's not true. <laughs> you know, you suddenly have insight. You know, all you got to do is just read the Bible, right? And all of these kinds of things that, that tend to sort of make us mystical or thinking that things are automatic. If that were the case, it seems to me, there would be no imperative section of any of Paul's writings. There'd be no need for it. It's just automatic. You come to Jesus, you give him your life, and it's it. And yet, the New Testament here and these letters reveal that there is, in fact, the need to have some instruction here. As wonderful as what we've seen in 1, 2, and 3 is, and we believe it, at least on most days, <laughs> And we believe it, that we still need instruction. I wrote in my notes that how is it that I can live up to what I've been called to? How can I live up to what I've been called to? It made me think about a different matters here. And, 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 and how do I do that? How, how do I do that? Um, we have a lot of potential here, Paul says, you know. This calling of what God's actions in Christ and God's addition. There, there's a lot of potential that we have. Made me think of a OU football player. Maybe I heard in the news the other day um, that Marcus Dupree 
helped pull a lady out of a wrecked car uh, that had wrecked somewhere here in town. And uh, he jumped right out and just got right to it. And they kind of interviewed him and made me think about him a little bit, that uh, what, a, what a great thing he did there. And his life has certainly taken several turns. Uh, uh, ESPN did a, a, a video, a thing on him called 30 for 30 that saw the best that never was. And it was kind of a sad thing to see a guy that had such incredible potential. Uh, I read some stats on there. You know, when he was a sophomore in high school, he rushed for 1,850 yards. That's unbelievable. I saw some film of him, and I thought he was a man playing with young boys. <laughs> I mean, he was like a freight train. And if you read some of the results of him or some of the records of that, he and, I guess, Coach Switzer had some uh, problems together. Uh, he left, and, and yet he never made it to where they believed he'd go. His, his potential, his abilities were off the chart. And yet a series of events and series of happenings and things happened. Um, he never became what they believed he could be. And I, and I thought that, that's that potential he's, he's got. He has all of this bag, baggage of talent and ability, and yet for whatever reason, I'm I'm being judgmental here, uh, although when he played Texas, I'm not going to talk about that when he played Texas. <laughs> no, no, I'll stop. I'll stop. We were scared of him. <laughs> uh, but all that potential somehow did not get engaged, right? Didn't, it didn't get into to, to action. In a similar way, this is what Paul's calling us to. Look, you've got all this. You've got all this. Now, now, now walk worthy of the calling. So let me give you one more thing as we, we kind of work in here. There's an interesting feature in, in chapters 4, 5, and 6. <clears throat> 4, 5, and 6. Paul has this word, walk. I'm asking you to walk worthy. That, that word in, in Greek, similar to the idea of living, just, just live. But it occurs several times here. Uh, I'll just list them for you. You can write down. You can go look at it later. The word walk. This is the idea of get engaged. This is the idea of get involved. This is the idea of get, in, get, get, get applied, what we've learned. It's found in all through that, just kind of interspersed, like don't walk like the Gentiles did, walk in love, you know, walk worthy, walk, 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 all, all through there. And there's another word that shows up several times that has some of the similar features of what I would call kind of this posture of living worthy of this calling, this potential we have because of what Jesus has done for us. Well, there's another word called, and, and the word that shows up several is stand. Stand. It's found in 611, 613, and 614. Now, taking all that to bear on that, we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that. I was talking to Becky the other day that it seems to me that, that what Paul is saying here, if you're going to live worthy of the calling you've called, you've got to walk and you've got to stand. And... I'm going to give you two C's here to, to at least think about that, that. That walking is conduct. 
how we live, what we do, how we operate. Several, several features. There's lots of features in there. But that walking has to do with our conduct. And I've always been intrigued by this. Well, well I'm, and our standing has to do with conflict. Conflict. Conduct. Conflict. You may recall. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Stand, therefore, in the armor of God. All that right there in 6 where it starts there when it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might put on the full arm so you'll be able to stand. The word stand is related specifically here to conflict. Walking, 4, 5, all the way to 6, 9. Then stand as it relates to conflict. So that's the big overview. Kind of the idea of these chapters have to do with walking, standing, conduct, and conflict. It's always been kind of interesting to me how Paul ends this book in the worthy walking or the worthy life or worthy of our calling that it has something to do with conflict. That it's, that it's not going to escape us. It's not going to be something we're going to avoid. Worthy living is not going to keep us out of having to deal with conflict, with the spiritual powers and spiritual realities of life. And so that is the idea there. So let's read here in 4.1. We're only going to do a couple of verses. I don't want to scare you to death this morning. So. 4.1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you've been called. With all humility, and actually this uh, ad, uh, adjective here, um, um, all, uh, shows up all humility, all gentleness, and all patience, showing tolerance for one another, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So I'm going to start there. We're, we're, we're just going to kind of work our way, way through this, that, that this idea. Now, notice here, if you will, uh, Paul, starting in this area, uh, uh, begins with this first section with what looks like kind of unity language, you know, unity, uh, getting along with each other. And we'll look at that. And I, I wrote in my notes, I said, right reading this um, Reading this first section of, of Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, my reaction is, that's a lot of, okay, that's nice talk, Paul. Be gentle, be nice, all that kind of stuff. That, that's really nice because that's the kind of person I am, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? And then I said, it's everybody else that's causing the problems around here. I don't know, but when I read that, I think, well, that's not a big deal because I am patient sometimes. <laughs> gentle. Not so much. Um, I think when we read this, again, it's a little gobbledygook to me because it sounds sappy, weak, not really getting to the teeth of walking worthy. And yet, when I reflect on that, I think about the ability to get along with each other, the ability to live in harmony with each other, and I think about 2,000 different denominations of the Church of Jesus in the United States. I mean, think about that. I thought about the denominations, the Presbyterians, 
There's Presbyterians USA. There's Presbyterian PCA. There's United Methodists, which are now Free Methodists. And there's Global Methodists. There's Southern Baptists. And I love these guys, the regular Baptists. <laughs> Where are those people? I have never met a regular Baptist person in my life. They say they exist. When we lived in Kentucky, where uh, I went to seminary, uh, the Church of God, which we're a part of, there's a road, Highway 60, that goes to this old town called Moorhead. And I'm not exaggerating. There are four different Church of God churches on that road, same road, just different sides of the road, within five miles of each other. Because they can't get along with each other. You know? I mean, again, when I read this, like, okay, you know, unity and gentleness. Come on. Give me something to bite my teeth into. And then I think, hmm, it might be more important than I think. There's clear evidence, it seems, that the human condition is one of division. We don't get along. We have a hard time with being with other people that are different than us. Just, and I'm talking to Cliff here, but just look at your social network. Does anybody look different than you? Anybody come from a different strata of society than you? Is anybody, is anybody different? We tend to coalesce into these kind of what they call socio-homogenous units. Paul comes right out of the gate on the notion of unity. If you're going to live worthy, he's saying, you're going to have to live like this. Uh, the Church of God, which we've been a part of, which our denomination is like this, um, we used to have a statement that I haven't seen it in a long time, but it used to be this, a united church for a divided world. Think about that. I know you've heard Marty say, and he's referred to it many times, that one of the reasons he believes that Crossings has grown the way it has is there has been such a spirit of unity in the leadership. Almost deferential, like I'm willing to defer out of a desire for unity. And, and I think it's true. There's been, I've been in a lot of churches in my life, and it's been remarkable to see the spirit of unity here of mission, of uh, being willing, uh, if you will, to do that. So I'm going to give a couple of labels here on these. I'm calling these first, this first little uh, group humility, gentleness, and patience. I'm calling that on your outline this. Well, that, where did that come from? Oh. <laughs> passive aspects. Now, when I say passive, I mean these characteristics seem to me to be passive in contrast to when I hear the bearing with one another. That's active. you you got to get busy with that. that. That it's this passive aspect, if you will, if, if you'd allow me to use that kind of terminology. Notice here when he says that you would have this with all God's people, humility. Let's look at that. With all humility. Now, that, that Greek word, you could translate it, or, or it, it comes out of a word picture idea of this, of, of lowly in mind. Lowly, you know, we, we talk about people that are proud. We call them what? What kind of mind? High-minded. 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 Humility is the term of low degree of mind. That doesn't mean dumb. It just, it just means I'm not ready all the time to just absolutely bless everybody with my wisdom. <laughs> I, I'm willing to listen. 
Um, one of the things in some leadership training I took some years ago, I found out some personality things, some things are best left unknown. Okay. <laughs> but I did find out a couple of things. And one of the things that I tend to do when I'm in a group meeting, I don't do it anymore because I think I've grown up a little bit. <laughs> but I generally get to a position pretty fast. And one of the things that I've tried to practice over time about this idea of humility is to say, Cliff, you got to talk last. Sometimes I'm vibrating. (laughs) Hurry up. Would everybody get through talking? Please hurry. I have something to say, right? I mean, I'm just vibrating. (laughs) But but high-mindedness tends to think, you need to hear me right now. Right now, right now, right now. And, and this notion of humility to say, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to talk last. This is this notion, this idea of not being high-minded, but having this understanding of, of willingness to listen. Of love. This is, by the, word, by the way, one of the words, you know, Jesus used um, uh, in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He said, come take my yoke. I'm, I'm meek and lowly. It's the same word here. I'm, 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 low, I'm, I'm close to the ground. I'm not up here. High and mighty. Jesus said, I'm, I'm down here. I'm low-minded. I'm, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to speak. What's fascinating about this is that, um, in, in some respect, is that humility was not valued in the ancient world. There's a, there's a researcher out of um, Australia who wrote a book called Humilitas. I recommend it. It's on leadership and all. He, he kind of traces this from a historical standpoint that Aristotle and other writers never valued humility because they saw it as a deficiency. Really, some suggest now that humility never got first billing until Jesus. He came and taught about humility and himself was humble It's the first time in history that humility becomes a virtue now. And the writer uh, out of uh, Australia has done some pretty significant research in that area. Humility. I'm willing to listen first. I'm willing to take in first. I'm I'm willing to, to hold my opinion, my thoughts, my ideas. Humility removes pride. Where we, we, we do, Thomas Aquinas was a great writer. It, it says it's the beginning of the Christian life, where, where we are willing to be humble and remove our pride, and so we would be willing to, to listen to others and to God. Humility sounds weak to me, <laughs> sounds passive, but it's really not. And I love C.S. Lewis in this particular respect, because humility doesn't mean <clears throat> that you don't have an opinion. It doesn't mean you think poorly of yourself. He made this great statement that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less <laughs> to where you're not the one to talk all the time. You're not the one to share. You're not the one to be in front. And so humility, I, I have to tell you this. I don't know if this fits or not, but man, it's one of my favorite things. Lewis <clears throat> talked about divine humility. And if you ever read part of his work, but he calls it divine humility. He says, um, 
God is not proud. God is not proud. Because it's a poor thing when we strike our... He's British. I've been to England now, so I understand him. Okay. So if you need translation, come talk to me. Okay. By the way, the eagle and the child coffee shop that he and Tolkien, those guys, shut down. I, we're walking through there. I said to Mark, the government of England needs to open this thing up. This needs to be state run now. But, but he says, God is not proud. It's a poor thing to strike our colors. Put the flag up. That's striking the colors. That's you're bringing up the flag. It's a poor thing to strike our colors when the ship is going down under us. A poor thing to come to him as our last resort to offer up our own when it's no longer worth keeping. If God were proud, he would hardly have us on such terms, but he's not. He stoops to conquer. He will have us even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to him and come to him because there's nothing better now to be had. That is humility. Jesus demonstrated that. Jesus lived that, this understanding of that. So humility. So let me ask you to apply this in your life this week in this way. Maybe um, what you would think about doing is practice the habit this week of being the last person to speak. When you're in a situation, you're in a discussion or a conversation, maybe be the last person to speak. Hold what you have. Or it might be to track through your week, as we go through our week of humility, of how am I willing to listen first? How am I willing to listen to others? Okay? I'm going to the next one here. The next feature here, I'm calling them passive because this is more of withdrawing. Humility is more of pulling back. The second one is gentleness. In some translations here, it's gentleness. Uh, this term uh, is a term of, and there's lots of issues here, uh, that the term of gentle, and by the way, this is the other term used of Jesus in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. I'm gentle and lowly. Uh, there's some uh, discussion in uh, ancient Greek that gentle is referred to an animal who's been tamed. Gentle. There's some stories, and there's still some discussion about this, that, that gentle is a 1,600-pound horse that's been tamed to respond to the rain. Think about that little piece of leather there and that bit or whatever. You've got a 1,600-pound animal that has been learned to respond to the rain. There is a story I heard, sometimes hard to fact check it, but when they would go try to find Arabian horses that were wild uh, in, the, in the desert or those areas, they would go out and put a harness on a donkey and then put a rope and they would take that rope and they would lasso uh, one of those Arabian horses because they knew that donkey was going to go back to the house. And that donkey would start going back to the house. And that Arabian horse got the picture and said, no, 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 we're not. 
and would drag that donkey a mile. Powerful animal. Just drag him. Donkey, get up. Start going that way again. <laughs> this went on for days. Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And the Greeks, when that Arabian horse came into the corral, being led by that donkey, they said, the Greek word is pros, pros. He is now gentle. Here it is. It's power under control. That's why Jesus said the gentle will inherit the earth. Why? They've learned the rain. Their emotions, their feelings, their impulses have been trained. And now they're gentle. Doesn't mean they don't have any power. Doesn't mean they don't have any juice. Doesn't mean they don't have any horsepower here. It just means it's been tamed and brought under control. And Paul is saying this, in all gentleness, hey, tame it. He doesn't mean be a, be a wash rag. He doesn't mean, well, whatever you think, you know. He means people that have power and ability and strength that's been tamed. It isn't out of control. We know that. We know people that have power and ability and strength, and because it's impulsive and because they can't control it, it never enables them to become the person they could be. If they could just tame it. And so Paul says, gentleness. And then finally, patience. So let, me, let me give you an example of patience. In the 1930s, um, when some of y'all were getting out of high school. And... <laughs> Kidding. That's how to lose an audience real fast, Stan, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Here, come back, come back. Up. In the 1930s, uh, Joe Lewis who would become, in a couple of years, the uh, heavyweight champion of the world in boxing. A group of young boys gets on the bus, and in those days, Joe had to ride in the back. And they go up to him and start taunting him and trying to fight him. And he sits quietly there on the bus. They're jabbering and, you know, running around and, come on, let's fight. They're idiots. <laughs> and uh, as... That goes on for a while. He just sits there. And as he exits the bus, he quietly hands them a card. And it says this, Joe Lewis, boxer. <laughs> and he won the heavyweight championship of the world. That's power under control. I mean, he could have wiped them out. And justifiably so, probably. But he waited. He was tamed. His power was under control. And finally, patience. Patience. So God's not asking you to just be a wash rag. He's simply asking you to come under the control of His Spirit, of His life, so that what you have and what you can bring to the table has been brought to the rain. Then finally, patience. I like this word, uh, longanimity. Is that a good word? I have several new words from England with me, so now if you're interested. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you're going to hear this for now, about another eight months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the it, longanimity, the, the word is this, long-fused. You know, I grew up in East Texas like Doug, 
and we survived barely. <laughs> but we used to have a thing we played every Fourth of July, goofing around. We weren't smart. I'm telling you. I, I was saying this morning. You know, you know why m women live longer than men? They don't do stupid stuff. <laughs> or when you come to church, they don't offer bacon shish kebabs to women on Mother's Day, right? Who of us got a bacon shish kebab this morning? Yeah, that's why we're going out. That's why we're going out fast. I'm telling you, going out. Have another one, Jay. <laughs> uh, but we used to have this thing where, where you know, we weren't content. And, I, and again, uh, I do not recommend this. I am saying do not do this. Uh, okay. But, but we would, you know, have firecrackers during you know, the 4th of July like that. But we weren't content just to have those and throw them, you know, you know at each other. Again, do not recommend. Don't do this. Do not do this. But what we decided was more fun was to cut the fuse shorter and see if we could get it out of our hand in time, right? I'm just saying, not smart. I can't tell you the number of times it's like this. Pop! Oh, man! Why? We wanted a short fuse. Yeah, a couple of us were going through life like this. <laughs> you know? Yeah. This word patience, this word patience here means long fused that it you 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 don't immediately respond you don't immediately get angry there's a long fuse to this that we would be patient now there's a difference between being patient and being abused there's a difference between being patient and and being manipulated we don't have time for all that but you, you got to make some of those distinctions but, but patience that is long fused is saying things don't have to just work out all the time the way I think they should. Or, or, or everybody doesn't have to come along with my program or what I believe. I have, I have a fuse that's longer than that. I, I don't immediately react or respond. And so I, I have this, if you will, patience, long-suffering, long-fused slowness to that matter. And so I, I just uh, ask you to consider that these matters are the beginning. Pro now, these are what I'm calling uh, negative aspects or, or, or the matter, if you will, of, of aspects that are passive, not negative, but passive, that where, they're, where I'm in some sense not actively engaging, I'm pulling back. But for the sake of walking worthy, for the sake of walking, Paul starts with this. This community, he's saying, has got to live a certain way. And for some of us, that's a challenge. For some of us who maybe want our way or think we know or think we should tell others or if people would just listen to me, they'd be fine. That's part of the challenge for us. For some of you, you're almost kind of like this. That's why we talk so much. <laughs> Somebody said to me one time, you don't talk to Cliff, you listen to Cliff. <laughs> Sadly, that's been true on occasion. But this notion of walking worthy begins, begins with these passive, if you will, patient, gentle, humble living. What would our world look like if we lived like that? What would our church continue to look like? If we live like that, if we made it our commitment to say, 
God, I want to walk worthy in this regard. Let's pray. Jesus, this, it looks simple. These are easy words to define. But the living out, the, uh, the finding our lane in life is not. So we confess to you that this, again, looks simple, but in reality we know it's not. So would you help us to remember our calling, the actions that you've done for us in Christ, as well as the addition of us to your family? Would that motivate us and strengthen us to live this way this week? We hope it will, Lord. We, we look to you for that. We pray it in Jesus' strong name. Amen. We'll continue this next week.